Revelation 19, verse 1, After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His righteous judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride is made herself ready and I couldn't help it I had to read verse 7 let's pray one more time (laughs) Father bless the teaching of your word for us all this morning may your words not come back to you empty without succeeding in the matter for which you sent it and we pray that you would fill us up with, with the hope and the joy and the hallelujahs that are before us because Lord we recognize these are words we will sing to you in heaven and we can't wait for that but teach us now lord continue to prepare us make us ready we pray in jesus name amen hallelujah well wednesday night i asked a question that came straight out of the gut-wrenching psalm of the exiles psalm 137 a sorrowful psalm written from babylon written at a time where the psalmist himself, either when he was writing it, he's recalling this, or he wrote it right then, but recalls being taunted and and made fun of and mocked by Babylonians around them saying, Sing us a song of Zion. Here's the question. Psalm 137 verse 4, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we sing? I mean, he's saying, how can we sing... A song of Zion from Babylon. I'd like to stay with that question a little longer this morning. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? For the first time, the good news of Jesus crossed over into the West, into Greek Macedonia. You may recall the story, if you've read the book of Acts, Paul and Silas arrived in the city of Philippi. Long story short, they had a few Riverside Bible studies resulting in some baptisms and the casting out of an annoying demonic spirit. Girl following Paul and Silas all around and calling them out and Paul didn't need to hear that. And after a few days, you know, it's it's a funny incident in the Bible because he doesn't cast out the spirit so that he can free the girl of demonic possession. He casts it out because he's just annoyed. The spirit's just bugging him. So he casts it out. The city is thrown into an uproar. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And in Acts 16, verse 22, I'll just read you this part of the story. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. (laughs) You know, it strikes me, no pun intended, 
They're beaten with rods because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. And we find it difficult to share Jesus with a friend because they might not want to hear it. Think about the contrast of faith there and the passion. And what was it that that led Paul to be so pronounced with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, they threw him into prison. And having received such a command, that is the jailer, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and whining over their pain and anguish and really lifting up howls. No, sorry. Uh, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I like that. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Picture of two men singing a song in a foreign land. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Ask Paul and Silas. Ask them in the midst of a prison and they're singing and praising God. And Thursday morning I awoke to a text from Steve Berenson. That reads, and I quote, From the dismal, deadly darkness of a Roman prison, songs of praise rose up. Paul and Silas praising Jesus, quote, from Babylon, unquote. And then Steve wrote, let's keep singing. Made my day, Steve, wherever you are, thank you. Whether in Babylon or in bondage, we have a song. We have a song to sing. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances or situations are in our lives. It doesn't matter if our feet are in the stocks. Whatever's happening in life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to Jesus, you have a song to sing, a song of salvation in Jesus. You have been. You are a saved person. And you can always find the notes. Regardless of circumstance, even when the entire world is out of tune, we have a song. We have a song to sing. And the prayers and the praise of Paul and Silas rock the footings of that Philippian prison. I mean, think about the story. All the cell doors sprang open, not just theirs. All of the chains fell off. Everyone's chains fell off, not just the stocks of Paul and Silas. And that tells us something that praising the Lord inevitably unfastens more chains than just your own. More chains than just my own. Yeah, you worship God and someone else's shackles drop. You praise the Lord and another's bonds break. And that tells us something of worship, that it's so much bigger than than musical taste and style preference. Man, if you're going to church looking for a particular style of worship, hit Spotify. You know, pay the $12.99 a month for Apple Music so you can listen to what you want to all the time. But understand, if it were up to me, Rachel... All of our worship would groove like 1970s radio. That's what I'm looking for in worship. A good backbeat, some some nice guitar in there, rocking the place a bit. That's that's Rick's preference. That's my style. Get some old Maranatha praise in there, mix that in. It's not about my preference. It's about his praise. 
And when we praise the Lord, two things happen. Two primary things happen. Remember how Jesus said that we are to love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Those are our two primary commandments. That flows into worship because our worship is first and foremost about loving God. When we love God and worship, He is blessed. And when we love God and worship, guess what? We're loving those around us because chains fall and captives are set free. Even as we worship Him. Sometimes the chains that fall are my chains. Oftentimes they belong to others. Either way, get this, understand, where Christ Jesus is praised, joy is unfettered. Joy is unfettered. It is set free. No wonder Paul's most joyful letter among all the letters he wrote went to the church of the place of his early imprisonment. Went to Philippi. And in Philippians 4.4, many of you know the verse, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Why, Paul? Well, from the dismal, deadly darkness of a Roman prison, songs of praise rose up. Paul and Silas praising Jesus from Babylon. Let's keep singing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Revelation 19, verse 1 says, after these things. After what things? Well, we could go back over the entire book. We won't right now. But specifically, after religious Babylon is crushed. After commercial Babylon is consumed. And I know it's been a tough couple of weeks of study in Revelation 17 and 18. I mentioned that actually to Rachel earlier this week. We were talking and I said, yeah, I'm I'm excited about being in Revelation 19. It's been a tough couple of weeks. She said, a tough couple of weeks. (laughs) Feinberg says, this is the hour for which the church has prayed and longed. Revelation 19. What takes place here before us. What we are told is coming. This is the hour for which we have prayed and longed. This is why we're living how we're living. This is what we look forward to. Every time we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. This is what it's about. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 20. It says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. What we see as Revelation 19 opens up is the call to worship followed by a great response. Call and response. And so after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. And what follows here is what's been often called the fourfold hallelujah. Fourfold hallelujah. Bruce calls it the keynote of the entire revelation of Jesus. The fourfold hallelujah. This is the unfettered joy. This is joy breaking out, chains dropping. This is the hallelujah for which the entire church has sought to be ultimately and finally set free. It begins with a great multitude. Note that in verse 1. And this multitude includes, but is not limited to necessarily, the same worshipers that we saw back in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. 
Revelation 7, 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And you may recall, the elder said, Hey, John, who are these people? And he goes, I don't know. And he says, They are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. These are tribulation saints from all over the world, people who have been saved. People who sing now, praise to Jesus. And we see this multitude again rising up in Revelation 19 verse 1 and saying, Hallelujah! Now perhaps, possibly, there are some others that are trailing in that are singing Hallelujah as well. Perhaps some Older Testament saints are singing. But we'll see by verse 4, everyone in heaven is in. Everyone joins in. Elders, angels, and cherubim are all in full voice singing hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is a great word. It's not used enough. We need more use of the word hallelujah. I wanted to find it for you, but something to understand about hallelujah, even in its definition. Augustine said it incorporates all the blessedness of heaven. All the blessedness of heaven. It is a word, hallelujah, that you will not find anywhere else in the Bible. Four times, right here in Revelation 19. It's the only place you see hallelujah. And it is a word of incredible, remarkable, wonderful blessedness. Heavenly glory, all somehow wrapped up into one word. And think about the contrast with planet Earth. Heavenly hallelujah, and what do we have on Earth? Well, Earth knows all about blasphemy, and Earth knows all about the caustic sounds of foolish people bashing the name of God. How often in the marketplace, how often just around town do you hear the name of God just thrown out loosely, not in honor, not in praise. The name of Jesus toyed with. We are culturally, I'm afraid, comfortable with foul language of all kinds. It's just noise pollution. It's, it's just what's around us. It's, it's what we're used to hearing. It's like cigarette smoke at Disneyland. When I was a kid, cigarette smoke reminded me of Disneyland. That's how bad it was for those of you. And I was able to visit several times as a kid because we lived so close. But it was back in the days where they didn't have the smoking section and, and, and where you just everybody smoked in line. And as a child, I didn't put two and two together. I didn't realize it, that was what was going on. But I'd be in the grocery store with, with my mom and someone would walk by smoking a cigarette and I'd go, Matterhorn. <laughs> Not even realizing that this... This joyful picture in my mind was being brought to mind by pollution. And that's kind of like the world we live in right now. Disneyland 1960s. It's all an illusion. And it's brought to mind by pollution. By contrast, think about this. The heavenly atmosphere resounds with the praise of His glorious name. With a hallelujah. 
A name that when spoken and a praise that when sung is fresh and sweet and clean and pure like breathing in the most crisp atmosphere, the most clean oxygen on a mountain pass where there's not a cigarette in sight. Just pure praise. Can you imagine being in a place where the only time you hear the name of God or Christ or Jesus spoken, it's with praise and honor and love. Just praise the Lord. Just hallelujah. Can you imagine never having to hit mute or cover your kids' ears or your own ears? Can you imagine never having to wince at the harsh sounds of cussing or cursing or blasphemy in that marvelous day? And maybe this morning, all you needed to do was to come here and hear, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is a word, by the way, that I can speak in a number of languages. I can speak it in Greek. I can speak it in Latin. I can speak it in French, Spanish, German, Arabic, even Dutch. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There it is. <laughs> it is a transliteration. Every language on earth. Languages don't have a different word for hallelujah. They just have hallelujah. It's that single word. It's actually a transliteration of a Greek mashup, which itself is a transliteration of two Hebrew words, Hallel and Yah. Hallel meaning praise Yah, Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. But it's more than that. And this is what I want you to really understand on this whole definition of hallelujah. We would translate that praise the Lord. Now that's a phrase that is all over the Bible. Praise the Lord. The thing is, when we say praise the Lord, the tendency is to think I'm telling you to do it. You know, like it's in the command form or it's like a suggestion. Hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I remember having this conversation with my folks. My mom specifically struggled with understanding. Hey, you say praise the Lord as a, as a phrase of worship, but what you're really doing is you're just telling me to praise the Lord. No. Hallelujah is really to say praise Yah. Praise to you. It's offer. It's the offer of praise direct and personal. So you're not saying praise the Lord as if, hey, come on guys, praise the Lord. You're saying, I praise you as my Lord. I worship Yahweh. Hallel, Yah. Praise the Lord. We see the phrase praise the Lord 51 times in the Bible, 34 in the Psalms alone. Hallelujah. And so this great heavenly crowd sings four hallelujahs. And I want to look at them and think about them with five outstanding motives behind the four hallelujahs. The first one being hallelujah for God is redeemer. God is redeemer. After these things I looked and something like I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying hallelujah the salvation and the glory and power belong to our God. Salvation and glory and power And these three words aren't feelsy, fuzzy romanticisms. 
We can think that sometimes, especially if, we, if we're blazing through Scripture, if we're trying to read through the Bible in a year, which is, by the way, a great idea. I'm not saying don't do that. But if you're just moving through the passage and not pausing to consider what's actually being said, we might read phrases like salvation and glory and power and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's, those, those are God words. That's God talk. That, those, yeah, I've heard those. I mean, we could insert words here, right? Any word that just you're feeling about God at the time, that he just happened to be feeling, or they were feeling salvation and glory and power, so they threw out those words. This is not like something you'd expect to hear from Ed Sheeran or Adele. You know, fuzzy, feelsy words. It's also not how to write a hit Christian song. If you've ever seen comedian John Crisp, this guy cracks me up. He's all over YouTube, and I yesterday spent half the day watching and laughing. And he did this whole thing about how to be a Christian songwriter, how to have a hit song on Christian radio, three chords, simple rhymes, abstract struggles. (laughs) Throw in a geographical reference, storm, valley, ocean, and you've got a hit. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about just any salvation. We're not talking about generic glory. We're not referring to ambiguous power here. And I know that because, well, (laughs) the definite article is in every word. We've mentioned this definite article thing. It's just the word the, but it makes a difference. You can say, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Or you can say, which is as written, and you might want to jot this down in your Bibles, hallelujah, the salvation and the glory and the power belong to our God. Not just any salvation, the salvation. Not just any glory, the glory. And not just any power. The power belongs to our God. All three of these words are the word and all three belong to our God. They describe him. They are of him. They come from him. You don't get salvation anywhere else. There is no other glory. There is no other power. The power belongs to our God. It's just as Jesus prayed. Matthew 6.13 Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I like what William Barclay says about this. He says each of these three great attributes of God should awaken its own response in the heart of man. And these responses taken together constitute real praise. He explains the salvation of God should awaken in us our gratitude. The glory of God should awaken our reverence. The power of God awakens our trust. Gratitude, reverence, trust. These are the constituent elements of real praise. I was thinking that through and jotting those things down. I wrote down the quote and I'm looking at it Think how I can expand upon this. I don't want to because, well, no one's going to run the list before worshiping. Right? No one's going to sit down at worship time and go, okay, let's see. Salvation equals gratitude. Check. Um, Glory equals reverence. Got that. Um, Power. Power. I know power is supposed to make me feel something. Uh, Listen. The salvation, the glory, and the power of God are not just fuzzy theological concepts that we learn about Him. They are truths that we experience with Him. They're known because you know Him. 
Now, if I asked her to do so, my wife could probably come up with a list of character traits for me. Some good, some bad. But she knows me. She doesn't need to describe me because she knows me. She understands me. And as we know God, the salvation is just something we know comes from Him. As we know God, the glory is just something that we assume is from Him. If we know God, the power of God causes us to trust in Him. Because we know Him. And we're right back to relationship, and I know I come to this all the time, but it's about walking with Jesus and being with Jesus and knowing Jesus that things like salvation, the glory, and the power evoke our gratitude, our reverence, and our trust. So don't break those things down into a little sermonette in your mind. Know Jesus. That's that's the invitation. We sing hallelujah because we have been redeemed by Him. We worship Him, not because we're checking boxes, but because we can't help it when the praises start. We're in. Worship Worship is not the warm-up. I've said this several times recently. It is not the warm-up to the educatorial process at the BBU, Bridge Bible University. And I fear that sometimes we treat it that way. You know, it's warm-up. I'm not talking about someone having trouble getting out the door and showing up late. And this is not another comment about lateness. It isn't at all. I'm talking about heart. And there are times where we will stand in worship and go, and when, how many more songs? And that's not the point. If you're, if you're in that place and you're, oh, I don't really like that. So, well, that's too loud. And, not, and, and hey, trust me, I'm saying this because I do it. There are things I notice. Things I pay attention to. And God catches me and goes, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Are you with me here? Yes, Lord. I can worship Him anywhere when I'm focused on Him. If I'm not focused on Him, I could be in the middle of the greatest worship band on earth and be going, man, that drummer's a little loud. Gotta do something about that. It's about... The Lord is about knowing the Lord. And I ask you this morning, can you sing thankfully? Because you know the salvation of God. Do you praise reverently? Because you are aware of the glory of God. Do you rest trustfully? Because of the power of God. That's a big one, I think, for a lot of Christians. Reverence, okay. Thankfulness, yes. Trust. You know your trust is in the God who created the world and everything in it and all the universe. The one who set the planet on its axis. Can you trust Him? Can you trust that His power truly is enough in your life? Man, if not, get to know Him. If not, don't quote the list. Don't memorize the list. Get to know Jesus Christ. Spend time with Jesus and these things begin to happen. And by the way, if all that resonates with you this morning, then sing Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
Which brings me to the second motivation for this great chorus of praise. Running right into the second hallelujah as they continue to sing, verse 2, because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. And He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on Him. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And that is some of the weirdest worship I've ever heard. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you said, Praise the Lord for taking out the harlot? Wiping out the harlot probably would be a better way to say that. (laughs) Praise the Lord, the harlot is burning. Praise the Lord, he's taking her down. You know, praise the Lord, he's wiped out that sin in our area. Praise the Lord. It just, you know, I'm sorry, but I read it cursively and, and I, I just think, ooh, hmm. I really want to get on to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's more, you know, I can praise for that. I don't normally use the word harlot or whore in my worship service. <laughs> Remember again, now think about this. It's not, it's not a pop Christian praise conference. This is praise that is profoundly real. This is praise based on what is happening right then and there. This is real praise based on a real response to real circumstances. And the worship community says, Hallelujah, secondly, for God is righteous. He's righteous. Why do they say the things they say? Because that's what they're seeing accomplished. Because that's what has just been experienced at the time. This is some of the most real worship that I've read or seen or experienced in a long time. This is not the the attempt to drum up some kind of emotion to have an experience. Now this is actual stuff taking place. Hallelujah for God is righteous. And in fact, it's so real that the praise draws off of three Hebrew scriptures right in a row. In verse 2, beginning in Psalm 19, verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous all together. Hallelujah, because his judgments are true and righteous. Psalm 19, 9. And then at the end of verse 2, he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on him. Deuteronomy 32.43 Rejoice, O nations, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance on His adversaries and will atone for His land and His people. By the way, the only difference between Deuteronomy 32.43 and what we see quoted at the end of verse 2 is Moses said, He will avenge, and now it's He has avenged. He's going to do it. He's done it. This is praise of something that has happened. Deuteronomy 32 looks forward like so much of our praise. And Revelation 19 looks back like so much of our praise ultimately will. Verse 3, where he says, hallelujah. They say, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. That's Isaiah 34, verse 10. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will go up forever. From generation to generation, it will be desolate. None will pass through it forever and ever. The smoke of Babylon. Rising up as the saints, as the people in heaven are praising. Hallelujah. 
praise the Lord for what He has done, for what He has accomplished. Understand that the smoke of Babylon rises as from a funeral pyre billowing into the sky. And the heavenly host says, Hallelujah. Now, also understand this is not limited to geographical Babylon. It can't be. Because it rises up forever. This is a direct reference, I believe, to the eternality of God's judgment in the lake of fire. That there's a continual burning. But understand, and I know, I know what some people say, a continual burning, an eternal flame, an eternal fire, a darkness that goes on forever and ever. That just, that can't be right. This judgment is absolutely right. 100% unequivocally right. Now again, for those of you who feel like it still seems strange to hold a worship service in response to severe smoking judgment of sin. It's not taunting the lost. Hallelujah. (laughs) This is praising the God who avenges the unjust killing of His servants. It is a praise of God. Remember all the martyrs of the tribulation? If you look back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, they cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long must this go on, they cry, as martyrs continue to join the fold? How long until you (laughs) avenge? Everyone wants an avenger these days. There's only one righteous avenger. God is the only righteous avenger. He's the one who really beat Thanos. Have you seen the, the recent couple of movies? Thanos. Thanos is taken from the Greek word for death. Thanos is death. God's the only one who's really beaten death. Truly. By the way, have you seen Endgame yet? I'm not suggesting that you do. But i got to be careful if you haven't here. I woke up the morning after watching Endgame. I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. But it's been on my mind because it raises, for me at least, Infinity War and Endgame, the last two Avengers movies, raise some really interesting theological questions. Faith questions. About what we believe and how we see the universe and the world around us and and where our faith is and where our trust is and what's really taking place here. And I woke up the morning after watching Endgame, that next morning, head popped off my pillow and I felt really dissatisfied. Not, Not because of the movie, not because... I was dissatisfied, listen, truly, because nobody got saved. Nobody. I mean, not really... What are you saying, Rick? It's going to happen again. They've already got the trailer out for the next Spider-Man movie. How's that possible? Didn't we just, uh, you know, deal with this whole thing and now we're... Rick, you just gave away that they win. It's the Avengers. (laughs) I mean, it just goes on and on and on. What I'm saying is this. I woke up thinking, there's still more evil. That's kind of one of the underlying theological questions in the whole movie is there's still evil. There's still sin. You wipe out half of mankind, the other half still sins. There is still evil in the world, more villains, more messes. The trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, the next in the Avengers series, was the most watched in cinematic history. 
<laughs> we, we were sitting there at the end of the movie. And I will give you this spoiler. The movie was over, the credits are running, and if you've seen the Avengers movies, you know that at the very end of the credits, they always have a little clip, kind of a teaser of the next film. And we sat there waiting, and waiting, and waiting. You know, half the crowd left, but the rest of us, you know, the faithful, we were there. <laughs> and the credits roll, and the screen goes dark. And the lights come up, and I kid you not, a guy four rows in front of us loudly cussed. Because there was no fight, and everybody went, oh, a nervous laughter, and I just went, hallelujah. <laughs> no, no, no teaser. It's over, man. It's just over. But here comes Spider-Man far from home, and man, it, everybody's watching it. Because why? Well, there's got to be an Avenger. There's got to be justice. Maybe in the next movie, we'll find, see, God is the only Avenger. He's the only one that brings about absolute, true justice. He's the one who, when he does it, everybody says, it's right. It's right. He was absolutely right. Who's your avenger? I mean, in, in all seriousness, who's, who's your savior? Is it a doctor that you're seeing? <laughs> the Lord. Is, is it a counselor for, for someone? Is it a police officer? Is it your pastor? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why do I ask these questions? I ask you. Is it your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Or worse, is your Avenger you? See, I think for many people, that's, that's the deal. Someone needs to avenge that right there. <laughs> God is the only righteous avenger. God is the only one. And He is worthy of all of our hallelujahs because understand, when He exacts vengeance, it's final, it's finished, and it is fully righteous. Fully righteous. How do you know? Because you're going to say so. Because when it's all said and done, that's all we can say is His judgments are true and righteous. I wasn't sure about this one, but uh, yeah, that was true. I'm not sure if that... You no, know, that's righteous. Anything you have ever questioned about what God has done with your life, when it's all said and done, you'll say, true and righteous. True and righteous. He was right. I was the one who was wrong. And speaking of God's righteous wrath in the tribulation, Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, these are days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. So once we're there in heaven, the hallelujahs begin to rise up because we understand completely. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because His judgments are righteous and true. And by the way, we'll join in that singing. It's not just the tribulation saints. Suddenly, we are now singing with them. Verse 4, and the 24 elders. And the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And here we are. And we already talked about this several teachings ago. The 24 elders, saints, apostles, prophets, the church. And now we join in. And we are singing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Why? For God is, number three, resplendent. Resplendent. It's a good word. Look it up. God is resplendent. You see what's happening there in verse 4? Look at that. 
We fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne. We're before the throne. We see the Lord in His glory. He is resplendent. We cannot help but worship when we look to Him. The worship is surrounding. It's rising up all around us. The hallelujahs are shouted and we can't help it. And we sing, Amen, Hallelujah, Amen, Hallelujah. Because it's not just what we know and it's not just what we hear. It's who we see. If you're struggling having worship on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or in any other time, you're struggling worshiping God, stop and just look to Jesus. See Jesus. Worship Him. Well, I've never seen Him. How can I see Him? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. See Him with eyes of faith and worship Him. And we will see that marvelous, resplendent glory. He's there, seated upon the heavenly throne. Let me read this to you real quickly. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings, and with two He covered His face, and two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called out to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. Well, then we should have no problem seeing Him and worshiping right now. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But understand, when we see Him on that throne, we will not be a people ruined. We will be a people redeemed. When we see Him, we will not be worshiping with unclean lips any longer. No, we will be a people of clean lips. Which is why, did you notice, this third hallelujah is enjoined with an amen. Amen, hallelujah, we sing. Amen, hallelujah. Amen is the only other word transliterated in every language. Hallelujah and amen. There aren't special words for those two. They just are what they are. And so we are singing here, Yes, Lord, we agree, hallelujah. We're on board, Lord, hallelujah, amen. And on this side of heaven, well, amen is a prayer. We're saying, every time we say amen, we're saying, let it be done, may it be done, so it shall be, Lord. May it be done. But in heaven, in heaven, Amen is not a prayer anymore. It is a praise. We're saying, you did it. You did it, Lord. Amen. You did it. Hallelujah. You did it. Praise the Lord. You did it. And by the way, we can, we can practice that praise right now. We can put the amen, you've done it, you've accomplished it, it is finished. We can put that amen into practice right now. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes! Amen! You did it! Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So when the follower of Jesus says, Amen, we're not just pleading, may it be done, we're saying, you did it. You did it, Lord. 
The day is coming when all of our prayers and pleas will be replaced with nothing but full-on hallelujahs. Verse 5, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, all you who fear Him, the small and the great. Took the kids to five guys after we saw Endgame. Had to have something to eat, you know. Went to Five Guys and we loaded up on bacon burgers and fries and shakes. And we left there bloated and ballooned, medically distended. (laughs) And so as we drove out of the parking lot, I offered to swing into McDonald's for Big Macs and apple pies for anyone who wanted one. See, as Anna Marie and Naomi and David both, all three went, whoa! I'm a dad. I get sick pleasure out of that kind of thing. (laughs) With so much praise and worship filling up the heavens, doesn't it seem weird that all of a sudden someone says, give praise? (laughs) That's what we're doing here. I don't know if you heard the hallelujahs. The multitudes, you know. And the saints joining in. Everybody's praising here. And now you're saying, give praise? Seems a bit superfluous. To ask us to do what we're in the midst of. You wouldn't think it would be necessary at this point to say, give praise. Here's the point. He's not saying give praise. It's in the perfect tense. He's saying, keep on praising. Keep on praising. Keep it going. Come on. Keep it going. You 12s know exactly what I mean. Right? Russell gets out on the field and he starts doing this. If you've watched the Seahawks at all, or any football team for that matter, the team at some point, you see people starting to go like this. What are they saying? Come on! Louder! Get the loudness meter up! Come on, 12s! Come on! Make some noise! That's what's happening here. That's the encouragement coming from the throne. Come on! Come on! Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! That's the idea. And so all the hallelujahs, well, they begin in chapter 19 with the multitude praising God, our Redeemer, our righteous Avenger. It swells as saints and cherubim join in to praise His resplendence. And now it surges and breaks like a great tidal wave in verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Hallelujah! It's just full blown. Come on! He says... Hallelujah, for He reigns. That's the fourth motive here. Hallelujah, for He reigns. It is the single most compelling reason for anyone to praise the Lord. What is? He reigns. He reigns. Hallelujah. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. How do people bring good news? I have something to share with you. Give me a minute, I'll get to it. (laughs) People bring good news with joy. I can't wait to tell you this. I got something to share. Oh, sit down. You're going to love this. Not, I have good news. (laughs) 
How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, what? Your God reigns. That's the good news. That's the end of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because your God reigns. Your God reigns. That is the message of every gospel preacher, teacher, and disciple. But listen, that message, that good news falls flat unless the end result is the ruling, reigning lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. If we're sitting here singing all manner of hallelujahs, but the Lord doesn't reign over me, then my hallelujahs are really kind of empty. They don't arrive. Does He reign over you? Does He reign over your house? Over your family? Over your relationships? At least as far as you can determine. Is He the one who's Lord? Does He reign over your choices? Does He reign over your beliefs? Does He reign over your behaviors moment to moment? Hallelujah, for He reigns. Again, you can say all you want, Hallelujah, God is a Redeemer, and He is. You can say, Hallelujah, God is righteous, and He is. You can say, Hallelujah, God is resplendent. But listen, only those who get to the fourth Hallelujah, only those who can honestly say, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns, only they understand unfettered joy. See, that's when the chains fall off. It's not until we get to the Lord reigns. The chains fall off. But what are you saying? I call Him Redeemer. What about Christians who have been saved? They call Him Redeemer. Yeah, and and you would think that once He's your Redeemer, the chains would fall off. But why then do so many Christians still walk around in chains? Why do we sing songs about the chains are broken and we get so excited? Aren't the chains already off? Are you still waiting for some chains to be broken from you? Get to the fourth hallelujah, where He's Lord. Where He reigns. Where He's the one who has authority and control over your life. Then your joy is unfettered. Then your joy knows no bounds. And listen, I say this with all compassion and absolute truth. If Jesus is not your Lord, Lord over every aspect of your life, then you cannot, you will not know joy without chains. Which is again why so many followers of Jesus are in prisons of dysfunction and drugs and sexual addictions and broken relationships, prisons of alcoholism and workaholism and fear and depression and dejection and deception and despair and all these chains that are still among people in the church. Hey, when the earthquake of the hallelujah of His reign breaks out, that's when we break out of whatever prison we may ever have been in. Where He is Lord, I am free. It is for freedom that Christ Jesus has set you free. So don't return to a life of slavery. Hallelujah, for He reigns. We learned midweek that all the world can give, and I've I've really, this has been in the forefront of my mind all week long, all the world can give is the veneer of freedom. Fake freedom. 
It's not actual freedom. What the Lord, what the world offers is, is not real. Fake enjoyments, fake pleasures, virtual reality. But it doesn't ever arrive at freedom. Look at chapter 18, verse 22. It says, The sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. We were at a, uh, on Thursday night, my daughters were dancing in a, um, a thing called When Arts Collide down at Oak Harbor High School. And it was kind of a mashup itself. Of, you had ballet happening on the stage and the choir was up in the loft behind and so the choir singing and the dancers are dancing. It was really cool. And then in between every um, act, a woman was off stage reading poetry and so it was kind of trying to pull some of the arts together and then out into the, in the lobby area there were, there were paintings and photographs and, and artwork of students at Oak Harbor High School. And so all this art stuff is happening all around. And while I thoroughly enjoyed my daughter's fantastic dance, they're the best dancers anywhere. But while I'm, while I'm thoroughly enjoying watching my daughters, I kept, this spot kept invading. You know, the, the poet would begin reading how we're free to run through the fields. And I'd go, it's not freedom. It's not freedom. The arts, our, our ability to express ourselves, it's not freedom. See, it can be beautiful, it can be lovely, but where the world is concerned and when Christ is shut out, all of those things are a veneer. They're false. They're not real. It's where Jesus is Lord that it starts to get real. But all that other stuff, He says the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. I want to quote that and send it to PSE. Just say, so you're not going to be able to... You can raise the rates all you want, but... The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. So even the the common daily joy of marriage... You know, there's another one, by the way. Even marriage has been called the old ball and chain. Not by me. But people... How many weddings have you been to? Oh, it's so wonderful. This is the day. This is what we all look forward to. And how long does it take before it's a prison? That someone needs to break out of. The world offers veneers. But get this. Listen. Immediately after the voice of the bridegroom and the bride is cut off from the earth. I mean immediately afterward we find the voice of another bridegroom and his bride that will be heard. And it's the fifth motivation to praise coming right out of the fourth hallelujah. Hallelujah for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Hallelujah. Number five, for the bride is ready. The bride is ready. And the marriage feast of the Lamb is the next thing on the revelation of Jesus' agenda. The marriage feast of the Lamb. While the worship team is coming up, I want to leave you with this this question. Will you make this heavenly scene? Will you be there? This, to me, I've said this many times, this passage absolutely amazes me because it's the one place in Scripture where I can say with absolute certainty that those who belong to Jesus here this morning are being quoted. 
that when you read this fourfold hallelujah, especially, I mean, if I'm being technical, especially when we get down to the third and the fourth hallelujah, what we're hearing is our own voices quoted in the Bible saying hallelujah because the church is there. We're there. We're with Him. We're praising the Lord. And so I ask you, is your voice there? Are you among the multitudes praising the Lord? You might say, well, how can I know? How can I be sure? Easy. Praise the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Because if you can sing, and I'm talking about from the heart, in honesty, just truly singing, hallelujah, the Lord reigns. If you sing that now, you will be among those who are singing hallelujah then in the heavens. And saints, whatever you do, wherever you are, even if it seems like we're in a dismal, deadly darkness, keep on singing.